Welcome to the Remnant by Reclaim 611 podcast. I'm Paula. And I'm Carrie. And we are happy to be back in the studio again, together I again. Know, two episodes in a row. I know, right? <laughs> it feels so good. And it. I, I was thinking when Carrie was walking in and out of the door, I was like, oh, her stomach isn't big anymore. She, <laughs> she doesn't have to have that, you know, that funny walk like she's carrying something in front of her. That's right. It was a funny walk. It's <laughs> yeah, the waddle. It's, it's, it's the waddle, yeah. Yeah, and she, I got some new kicks like you. Awesome. So inspired by Paula, <laughs> I got some new tennis shoes with some color. Yay. <laughs> color is fun. I, I love color. So Paula we, inspires me. She's <laughs> like, yeah, she does. Yeah, my, my shoes make me happy. Colors, they make me happy. Colors make me happy. So <laughs> she's make me happy. <laughs> That's right. So we are excited. We are in the studio today, and we have a very, very special guest. And honored, honored guest. Yes. How many of you all love survivor stories? Me, 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 me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love survivor stories because it, it puts a face and a name to what's really going on. You know, we can do the education and we can look at statistics and, you know, we could read stories about what happens. But it's something about the survivor telling her story and really just letting us know what really happens. It it, it makes it so much more relatable and it, it, and it makes it so much more powerful than we could ever make it because, you know, we weren't in there. But for them to be able to survive and tell the story, man, that's awesome. Yeah. So we are happy, happy, happy to have our very special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? I am, my name is Chelsea, and I mean, as you said, I'm a survivor of human trafficking and drug abuse and all the great things that come along with that life. <laughs> so I'm more than honored to be here to for you all giving me a chance to share my story and show an interest and share education about it. Yeah. Amazing. So what we're going to do during this segment, we're not going to tell the whole story. We're going to break it down. Mm-hmm. We're going to break it down so it's palatable. We're going to break it down so she doesn't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Because if we just say, tell your story, yeah, <laughs> we don't know. Where do you start? Where do you start? So, yeah, so we're going to kind of um, guide this conversation, but she's going to be totally transparent with however she feels comfortable sharing with us. It's This is not forced. This is not, we aren't getting paid for it. She isn't getting paid for it. We're just having a conversation and we just want the listeners to be aware and just to hear this story. Okay. So we're going to start it off. We're going to start and we're going to go way, way, way back. We're, we're, we're going way back. We're going way back. We're going way back to childhood. Okay. So that's where we're going to start the conversation all the way um, from childhood. And so Chelsea, can you tell us a little bit about what did home life look for you as a child? Well, um, the easiest way to start it out, I, of course, unknowingly am the product of two addicts. Um, my father is a raging alcoholic, and my mother had, long story short, she got struck by lightning when she was a kid. So mm. her nervous system was shot, and they started her out on Xanax, of course, as a young age. And she had physical problems, so she, of course, became dependent on pain pills. So, but growing up, it was always a base of me my ma and my sister it was us three we were the three musketeers it was ride or die like she was a single mom of two crazy kids that 
she worked two, three jobs at a time. Like she did in my eyes, she was perfect. Like she gave us everything that she, we might not have got everything we wanted, but we definitely had everything we needed. And she made sure like she, she played the mom and the dad. She, she stepped up in every way that a mom should. And I mean, I can never thank her enough for that. Um, so like, my dad, he wasn't around. He was, we had, they had split custody of us. We would go see him on the weekends. Um, my dad was also my first trafficker. He was the first man that abused me physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally, all that. Um, he was a corrections officer out at a state penitentiary um, back where I live. And yeah, it's just crazy because, I mean, I grew up in a Catholic school. Like, my grandparents were Catholic. They made sure that even though my mom couldn't afford to put us in a private Catholic school, that they did. Oh. So they stepped up in every other way, too. Like, my papa was always, like, a father figure to me because he would watch us. They would watch us during the day while my mom went to work and all that stuff. But, I mean, so they tried to keep it as normal as possible. And... I mean, they did everything they could. They did everything right in my eyes. Um, I was being abused by my father. No one knew of it. Because um, when we were younger, we moved to New York when I was in third grade. Excuse me. And my older sister came out and said that my father was touching her. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, my mother did what any mother should do. And she flew us right back to our state to take him to court. And it's, I can't point fingers, but I will say it's a coincidence that my stepmom at the time had the same last name as the judge. Mm -hmm. And somehow my father was able, even with all these accusations, to get off without even a slap on the wrist. He didn't wow. lose his job. He didn't get in any trouble, nothing. Wow. And it, it's such a betrayal of the justice system because... Mm -hmm them not fighting for my sister at all and me seeing what that did to my ma emotionally was enough to deter me from saying anything mm -hmm. at all because my ma like I was the child that kept it in like I knew what was happening but I cherished my mom's peace and her peace of mind and her happiness over my own I was very, 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 very much so an emotional child. <laughs> like, if I saw my mom cry, it didn't matter if it was happy tears. I instantly started bawling. <laughs> like, I was one of those kids. And there was plenty of nights she'd be asleep. She'd open her eyes, and I'm standing at the side of her bed watching her sleep, just sobbing. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I just don't want you to die. Like, And that was my cry for help. Like, I was mm -hmm. just scared of losing her because – despite the fact that she didn't know what was going on in my mind she was still my rock she was everything for me like she was the one that protected me and i felt safe with versus when i had to go over there so you you told us about your relationship with your parents so and you said your dad is the one who first abused you yes how old were you when that happened and what did you think in your mind was going on? See, that's the scary thing is I can tell you that it started when I was about four. Wow. But what's even more scarier than that is 
that's only as far as my memory will allow me to go. Okay. So it's like, I have no clue if there was stuff done when I was a baby baby. Like right. if there was inappropriate stuff happening then, mm -hmm. I can only go from what my memory is. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, it's like going through enough trauma for anyone mm -hmm. that everybody handles it different. Everybody right. copes with it different. But I realized dissociation was a lot of mine. Mm. Okay. So let me ask you this, and you can let me know if you're comfortable or not comfortable. So when you say your dad sexually abused you, what did he do? Did my he dad had sexual intercourse with me. My dad had raped me. My dad had fellow officers that would come over and drink, and they would pay to have their fun with me. Oh. Um, I was more just a perverted drunk man's dream. I was a little girl. I was defenseless. Yeah, I fought, but it was to no avail. Like, it did no good. Um, and it's like, it, it very, my very first memories of him were good. I remember he, cause he was, he was a cop. I went to a private Catholic school. Like when they had dad's lunch, like he came in everyone, like I was the popular kid because everybody loved him. Mm -hmm. Like he would take us to Kentucky kingdom all the time. We would go to six flags. He would like take us, get ice cream. He always did fun stuff with us, mm -hmm. but it's like now that I've gone through the healing and stuff that I have, that was all grooming. Because it was more so here, I'm going to get you on my good side because he would get me with him, bad talk my ma, like try to convince me that there was like she wasn't a good person. Mm -hmm. And it's like that was all grooming because he knew that in my eyes, he was like my Superman. He was my hero. Like that was how every dad was supposed to be to their kid. And that's how I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it. It's like it was. All just a game. Like, it was. <laughs> and this was, you and your sister would go on, on because you were split custody. Yes. So were you and your sister always together? No. He no. would definitely separate us when it came time to, and when anything would happen. And both of you are experiencing this abuse. I, I don't, I can't, I won't tell my sister's story. Sure. I don't yeah. know exactly what all yeah. she experienced. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's not my story right, to right, tell. Right. So that I, I, don't, I don't know too much about. Right. I just know that she claimed that she was abused. And, I mean, I take her word for it. <laughs> but you guys were separated. Yes. Yeah. So I have another question. Okay. So you said a word, and if you're new to the podcast, she said the word grooming. Yeah. Can you explain to the listeners what grooming means? Grooming can be seen in so many, there's so many different types or ways to groom someone. Mm -hmm. um, but just overall grooming is, say for instance, hypothetically, there's a grown man that has pedophilia issues and he is looking at a young girl, say it's his neighbor. He will then get her to, he will gain her trust in one way or another, make her feel safe or hey, you can come over here and play dress up or just earn her trust somehow mm -hmm. and then implement little changes as time goes on. The grooming process can last years. It can go okay. from a child into a teenager or it can be a matter of a month or two. It's all picked in upon that man and what his process is. Mm -hmm. They will gain the trust of whoever, whether it be a child, whether it be 
a minor, a teenager, a young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you gain the trust, and then it can be little things, like I said, like the man, here, we can have ice cream after we play dress up. Mm-hmm. And just get little steps going to where, therefore, now she's undressing in front of the man, mm-hmm. and she's comfortable with it. She doesn't see any red flags. She hears the things her parents are telling her to look out for, but she doesn't see that with him because it's not such an immediate step. They take time, and, I mean, it's hard to see when it's happening. It's hard to recognize, like, hey, this man's grooming me, because you don't. You don't really know that. You don't really know everyone's intentions. So it's like, you don't really know, is he just really being kind to me? Mm -hmm. Or, like, is there an ulterior motive behind this? And, I mean, once you have to go through the healing and everything to realize, like, what grooming is, and then you can look back and be like, you know what? exactly what happened (laughs) wow you did a really great job explaining that you really did that was i mean for our listeners that is exactly what grooming is like Mm -hmm. it is and and like you said you don't know that's what's happening it doesn't have a title yeah and i mean like he can be friends with the parents and the parents would never pick up on it because they don't they're because like i said they're such it's like they're chameleons like they can adapt and they can change their colors and they can they can bamboozle you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's a, such a slap in the face. But I mean, it's like, they are, they've gotten so good at what they do that, like I said, they'll gain the trust of parents mm-hmm. where they're like, here, I'll watch your child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. They can come over here after school. I'm great with math. I'll help them with their homework. Mm-hmm. And then it's, well, once we got your homework done, how about we go back here and play? Mm-hmm. Or, and you, how about you go take a nap? Or, I mean, they, it's just little things to gain someone's trust, whether it's a child, a teenager, or a grown woman. Mm-hmm. And it's to gain their trust with the intentions of complete betrayal. And I think it's important also to just recognize here that this is a parent that's yeah. doing this. Yeah. So we think about grooming a lot of times as a stranger. I think that's like just how people view grooming a lot, that it's that person on the internet or whatever, that stranger that you met or that person you became friends with. But this is a parent. And this is actually the second time we have heard a story with a survivor where a parent is their initial trafficker. And so I just, I appreciate you going through that and talking about what grooming is. And I mean, you did did an awesome job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. And and I know it, it, it's, it brings up all kinds of stuff when you when you talk about it. So let's just take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. Let's just breathe. Let's just take a deep breath. All right. We're going to continue to get through this. So um, how did that experience that happened with your father? Um, first of all, how long did that last? That lasted until I was about 10 or 11. Wow. So for about seven years. Yeah. Wow. Good amount of time. Yeah. So how did that shape how you viewed the world as a child? Oh, I mean, (laughs) in so many different ways, because growing up, like I said, I grew up in a Catholic church and a Catholic school. So where you went to school twice during the week while you were in school and you were expected to be there Sundays with your families. Mm -hmm. And what the way we were taught, it just now that I know what a real relationship with God is like, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't the right thing. We were, we weren't allowed to read out of the Bible. Like we had a nun for a religion teacher. We weren't allowed to read out of the Bible. We were taught that if and when good things happen to you, that's because you are being good, that love from God is earned. Mm -hmm. 
and you are being good. And if bad things are happening, that's because you've done something wrong to deserve that. So that means you need to face inward and find what it is that you're doing wrong and change it. So with those beliefs instilled in me, with this happening from a man that helped make me, (laughs) um, it's such a betrayal because then I turned inward and I'm like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. So then therefore I did everything that I could. I changed everything about everything I was doing. I quit fighting Mm -hmm. all of that because I figured maybe that's what I was doing wrong. Wow. And it's nothing changed it. And so it felt like it was your fault. Yeah. So therefore I turned it around on God and it completely turned me off of him because Mm -hmm. I'm like, if I'm your child and you're supposed to love me, why would you let this happen? And Like, once I grew up and I came out about it, my mom would always tell me everything happens for a reason. And it would, it would make my blood boil. (laughs) Like, there's no way. There's no way this would happen. Like, there's no way any good could come of that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it definitely has because I'm a stronger person. I know what to look for. Things like that. Mm -hmm. But it... I mean, I just, I thought that's what all men wanted because there was plenty of times during my abuse that I was told that, I mean, I say the regular things that females that are being abused are told, but I don't know what everyone's told. Mm -hmm. I was told I was ugly, I was fat, no one would ever love me. I was lucky to have him doing that to me because no other man would show interest in me. Wow. So it, that's, it shaped me. That's what I expected. So therefore, as I grew older, I became more promiscuous. I gave men what I knew that that's what they wanted. When, I mean, really, I should have held respect and standards for myself. But I mean, it's all no one respected respected you, (laughs) right? I didn't respect myself, and so no one else did. No one else had to. You you just answered that question so well. You came full circle, and you really explained how it shaped how you viewed the world, just from what you were taught, what you were experienced. So, you viewed the world as a man only wants this, and this is what makes him happy. That's and that was what it. That's what it was, and that's all it would be. Because, like I said, I couldn't fall back on my faith. And knew that God was going to come through and save me or that I would have a beautiful relationship with him one day. Because you already felt abandoned. I looked at it as, I'm not worth saving, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I thought it was. And even when I tried to do the right thing and stop fighting and stop. Yeah. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Wow. That... Wow. Carrie, say something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I have to say that I... Although there's so much evil here, right? There's so much lies. There's so much going on um, that even through it and you're hearing all things happen for a reason, that, that's, you're, ta- you're hearing these truths of the Bible and applying them to situations that aren't true. Exactly. Right? So that just creates this really horrible dysfunction um, and like furthering your relationship with God because it's not the truth about your situation and you are not supposed to apply that truth to what's going on. And your mom, you know, you can't tell her what's going on because it's going to destroy her and you take all of that on personally. Um, And so I, I guess from here, 
we go into the your school school and a lot of times we've liked to talk about what was school like for you because sometimes it's for survivors we've talked about it it's kind of a safe haven because you're away from maybe home life and, and then others it's not quite that way <laughs> well it was yes and no because when I was going through this my mother used to work at a mental hospital and I not knowing being young and not knowing how to cope beside aside from acting out in anger and stuff like that I inverted on self-harm that's what I landed on that's what helped me get through and once like I could only cover it up for so long because in my school you could only wear long sleeve shirts whenever it was cold outside the females had to wear short sleeve shirts and skorts jumpers and, and just for the listeners, when you say self-harm, you're talking about cutting? cutting yeah, okay. I would okay. cut and burn. Okay. Um, and so I couldn't cover it up forever. And my music teacher, <laughs> I was in the bathroom one day and she walked in on me as I was clean because one of my cuts had started bleeding. And so I was cleaning my arm up and she walked in as soon as I had my sleeve up and she saw all of it. And it made me feel safe because she just hugged me. But then after that, it was she had to do what she was supposed to. And right. so then it was CPS was showing up at my school at unannounced times. And it was just that much more stressful because my mom at this point still didn't know what had happened. She just knew I was acting out. Mm. Um, so school, I was like the chubby kid. <laughs> I went to a really uppity school, and all the girls there were trim, fit, like beautiful girls. And I was the chubby redhead one that had crazy hair. My face was always red. <laughs> like, it was horrible. So I mean, I got made fun of and stuff. So it was it was hard to deal with that. But the thing is, is it kind of added on to everything that I was already thinking about the world because the boys there wouldn't bully me as far as, oh, she's fat. They would see, oh, she's got a bigger butt than the rest, so they would come up and pull my skirt up in front of other boys wow. to embarrass me Jeez. and humiliate me during gym, things like that. So then, therefore, it just reconfirmed that's all men want. From anybody, because mm. I saw that they had respect for the skinny girls. They didn't do that to them, but they did it as a way to humiliate me. So it's like school just became even more of a stress <laughs> on top of everything. Mm. So it, I had a hard time dealing with that and coping. So how did you, after your music teacher did what she was supposed to do, did that impact your relationship with your music teacher? Like, how how did you view your music teacher? I mean... I got completely pissed off. Mm -hmm. I was young. I was mad that she opened her mouth. She shouldn't have said anything. In my mind, she mm -hmm. shouldn't so have said this anything. this red flag your mom? She, my mom CPS. definitely sat down and talked to me. I mean, but I, like I said, I saw the pain that it put in her eyes when my sister said anything. And I vowed from that day on that I would never be the one to cause her that much pain. Needless to say, it eventually happened once I got older and told her. But I just, I refused. I was scared to death. I was scared her heart wasn't going to be able to take it. And then she'd end up freaking out or losing her mind. And we would get taken away. And then I'd be placed with my dad. 
because nobody would believe me the way that they didn't believe my sister. So when this got reported, and obviously your mom had to start asking questions or got some kind of tip that things weren't going well emotionally with you and you're cutting, well, how did that conversation go as far as what did you tell her was going on? I told her that, I mean, she always knew, especially from a young age, with everything that was going on, even though she didn't know what was going on, she always knew that I was a very anxious child. I was very emotional. I was very, I was a very, very emotional, in touch with my emotions type child. I was one extreme or the other. I was either extremely happy and things were great, or I was breaking things, fighting my sister, all of those kind of things. So when she asked me what was going on, I told her what any parent would have believed. I was being bullied in school. I was stressed out. I didn't want to go see my dad just because I didn't like him, whatever. And I was able to deter it with things like that because I would rather see the pain on her face or frustration or her be mad at me about me acting out or getting in trouble or anything like that versus me actually telling her the truth and inflicting that much emotional pain Mm -hmm. on her. And so when you say you got in trouble, I think you said that, right? They used acting out, acting out. Did that happen in school? Do you think there were other red flags that teachers kind of, did they start asking you questions or wondering why? I feel like, I don't know how to say this. Um, I feel like there's a million red flags that my ma should have saw. Sure. As much as that hurts me to say. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know that she did everything she could for me and my sister growing up. But at the same time, it gets frustrated because it's like, when did you, how did you not see the bruises? Mm-hmm. How did you not see the blisters I had from the waist down from being put in a boiling hot tub of water to clean myself and then being shocked straight into an ice bath to tighten me back up. It's like, how did you not catch all the blood in my underwear? I could only fall on a bike so many times, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like part of it is frustrating. Cause it's like, how did you not see that? But also it's like I've had to be able to look at things in my past and in life today and be able to look at them from different angles and be able to separate like a person from the addict or a person in their right mind versus a mom that was beyond stressed out. So it's like, I don't jump straight to, well, she saw it and she didn't care or she just ignored it. But I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) I'm like, she is, she was a mother of two at the time. She was working two or three jobs. Like I get she's tired. I was a tomboy. I was a rough kid. So it's like, I can get it to a certain extent. Maybe she was tired. Maybe she just didn't think that much into it. Because growing up and telling that many lies, whether you want to admit it or not, makes you a good liar. You are able, especially when you're repeatedly lying to your parents, your mom, every day about what's going on with you. So you're able to be like, you know what? No, I could tell her this and her believe it. So it's like when I look back and think about my life and things that happen, I get split because part of me, like I said, is on the half of how could you not see this? How did you not catch all these signs? And the other part is she was a single hardworking mom that was exhausted and I was a rough kid. (laughs) So it's like I can't really sit here and blame or question any of that. 
Because it's like, who's, I can't say that I wouldn't have been the same way. So it's like, how hard do you, that's when I look at it as whenever I will be a parent, how hard do you push? Like, if you know your child is naturally a tomboy and is always with the boys, comes in, my hobby was counting how many scabs and bruises I got the day. So it's like, when you have a naturally rough kid and they come in with marks and bruises, and you ask them and they tell you, and you ask them again and they tell you, is how hard do you keep pushing? Because with some kids, you know, they're very impressionable to where if you keep implying things, they will definitely go along with it because mm. they feel like that's what they what you want to hear, mm-hmm. whether it's the truth or not. But then again, when do you just accept their answer for what it is? Mm. It's a very fine line to dance on man I really appreciate your transparency oh it's not that's I mean that's really um that's hard stuff to look back on I mean it's hard is not even a good word um especially when it's your parent you know and 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 another thing is and there's not a justification here but you were you talked about the beginning your mom was in her own addiction so she's numbing her own pain so whether or not she saw that in you and she saw something was wrong. She has her own addiction, you know, which we can speak to later in addiction and um, had her own dysfunction going on and can definitely blur the lines of, of yeah. what she was seeing and processing and may have not stood up like she was supposed to. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely just, I just appreciate your honesty and transparency. This is not, easy to look back on as a child and what the, the thoughts that you're having are incredibly normal. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that yeah. <laughs> um, they're incredibly normal. Um, anybody would look at it like that, um, especially as you get older and you think of like, I was just a kid. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was just a kid. Um, so Paula, what, do, what I'm, I'm, I'm looking to you. <laughs> I know you got the next segment. What do we, well, I was thinking about so much, emotional responsibility that you took on. Yeah. I think I just made that up, but <laughs> no. that, that's the best way I could describe it when yeah. I was, when I'm listening to it, that's the best yeah. word I can come up with. You took on so much emotional responsibility for yourself, but also for your mother, Mom. because you, yeah. you, you just took that on yeah. and as a child and it baffles me even as an adult, how you could process all of that and take on all of that, even in the middle of your abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 it really baffles me as I'm sitting here because, you know, you think kids are not supposed to worry about that yeah. or, or have that much pressure or, or that much responsibility mm-hmm. to take on, well, I don't want to break my mom's heart. I, I don't want, it, it was so many things that you didn't want that you unknowingly neglected yeah. your own just safe emotional progression. Right. So I salute you mm. <laughs> for being here today. I appreciate y'all having me. For, for being able to talk through this 
even with the tears, that's okay. We let, we let. Tears we, are. Tears. I love working. that you were an emotional child. That makes me feel a little more normal. <laughs> oh, because, great. you know, we normally do these podcasts and, you know, Carrie is the crier. Yeah. But now I have, I have a, I have an ally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still working on the whole, like certain things still spark. I mean, it's okay. And, and the thing is, yeah. is I cry for different reasons though, mm-hmm. throughout my story. Yeah. I cry sometimes because when I talk about it, yeah, the pain hurts. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, anytime I cry, when I'm telling my story, it's either because of the and most, the biggest reason is because of the passion I feel about helping others and telling my story and how much it breaks my heart to know that this kind of stuff is still happening. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's just, I feel so much passion towards, that's why I'm so transparent about my story and I love sharing it because I know that a lot of things, which I won't get into, but if I had been told or one girl had shared anything about like describing what grooming is, knowing exactly what trafficking is. If someone, if I had knew these things like prior, then I can't say it would have happened for sure, but I know that it was a very big possibility that it could have made some type of impact in my life. Mm-hmm. Either to say, you know what, this is what's happening. I will no longer accept this or, I mean, just anything. And so it's like if any part of my story can at all help with simple things like defining what grooming is, little things like that, any type of education or just to raise awareness, I am so for because if I can either help another female realize what's going on or help plant a seed for her to get help or make any type of impact, then I'm all for it Mm -hmm. because I know that, I'm a very, I know I said that it used to make my blood boil when my mom would tell me everything happened for a reason, Mm -hmm. but I am not lying when I tell you I'm one of the biggest advocates that believe that now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that is, yeah. Well, you're on this other side now, right? And your healing process is so evident in your willingness to like be charged to help others and to, to talk about this really hard stuff and to say, this is because I want someone else on the other side um, to listen to this, and maybe it will help them. Maybe they will I- identify what's actually going on and call it for what it is, exactly. um, and put a name to to the abuse and the dysfunction. So that just, I mean, that is so transparent of just like where you are in the healing process. It's really so beautiful. Um, I mean, and that's what this platform is supposed to be, you know, so that we are educating those out there that are listening on what exactly this is. Like you said, like, what is grooming and what is that? And from your perspective, who not only went through it, you know, but um, looking at it now and looking back and being like, this is exactly what was happening. I thought it was normal. Yeah. I thought my dad was just a cool guy in the community. Everybody knew. Yeah. And he was, you know, fun and took me to ice cream. And that's not that's not actually what was going on. Right. I have a question. I have an answer. All right. <laughs> you you just said something and it sparked something in me. So you knowing that this is going on with your dad, this is what your dad is doing. Did you have any friends that maybe you would ask, does your dad do this to you? I had one friend that um, lived in the apartment complex that we were living in. And she was the one, like, like I said, I was a tomboy. I hung out with boys. Um, she was like one of the one girls that both me and my sister hung out with. And... I had told her about some of the things that had happened and 
she went back and told her dad and her dad no longer allowed her to hang out with us because in his eyes even though my dad was nowhere around Mm -hmm. in his eyes she was going to come over and that was going to happen to her and so therefore that shut me out on i'm not telling anyone else this (laughs) because i'm obviously can't even have a friend that knows that this happened I mean, I just, the word isolation is just, like, the word that keeps... It's all over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because everybody you tried to tell just puts you in a worse situation, trying to protect everybody else, yeah. and then losing friends over even opening your mouth. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I just, isolation. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Again, Chelsea, thank you so much for se- telling your story. But also, thank you for giving us an understanding to your tears uh-uh, no problem <laughs> because you know you you see tears and you don't know what they mean right right but the way she explained it is is, is so amazing from pain to passion you know yeah. the, the tears are pain and passion so thank you so much for that we uh-huh. are wrapping this up because you know, we have another segment Absolutely. to do with you, and yeah. you have to tell us some yeah. more. Yeah, and we don't want to get just everything got childhood. out. We're, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're, we just got childhood. <laughs> right. Not even middle school, high school, say, have and even got out of we haven't even gotten yet. out of middle school yet. So, you know, <laughs> listeners, perfect. thank you for listening, yes. and um, you got to tune in again because this story is amazing. Yeah. Her healing process is amazing, and um, hopefully, if you are uh, a victim. And you're listening to this, or if you have children and you're listening to this and you have some concerns, hopefully something that was said today opened your eyes to what you may consider to be a red flag. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of this everything happening for a reason is not just to help young people, but it's also to bring awareness to parents about who you're surrounding your children with. It's about helping parents being responsible for the children's safety. Mm-hmm. So thank you no for sharing with us. And uh, listeners, if you have any questions or if you would like to contact us, you can email us at support at reclaim611.org or you can check out our website at www.reclaim611.org. And don't forget to tune in for the continuation of this story. We have just gotten started, um, but we want to go deep with each section so you really understand what this looks like um, in trafficking in different lights and um, how this affected the rest of her life um, until she is now in this process of healing, which is so amazing, and then ready to really um, tell the world what this really looks like and um, what human trafficking really is. And uh, what life like that in, in the life, um, all the things that come with that. And so we're just super excited to get to hear more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. So until next time, don't forget to step into the fight. That's right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.